Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Notice what Jesus says. There is a relationship between how much you give up in this life and the kind of rewards you're going to receive in heaven. For many who are first, like the rich young ruler in this life, they're going to be last in the kingdom of heaven. And those who are last are going to be first in the kingdom of heaven. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffers. God granted each of us different talents, gifts, and passions to use for His glory. But many times, our fears and insecurities hold us back. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress talks about the eternal rewards that await those who fully commit their lives to Christ. It's a lesson from the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress. Thanks, David, and welcome to a brand new week of Bible teaching on Pathway to Victory. Before we begin the message, let me say a word about a brand new book I've written just for your family. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. Now, everybody loves a good story. It doesn't matter if you're six years old or 60 years old. We love hearing stories. It's no wonder that Jesus employed parables to teach valuable lessons on life. His stories grabbed the attention of those who heard him speak. Well, that's the major reason I wrote this book for you and your family, in which I share 10 easy Bible lessons from Jesus for the young person in your life. So, whether you're a grandparent, a mom or dad, perhaps a teacher, or even an aunt or uncle, this book will entertain your child and teach them lessons that will carry them through their lives. When you give a generous gift, be sure to ask for the fully illustrated children's book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. And here's even more good news. When you give today, your generous gift will be channeled into our active matching challenge. That means that every dollar that arrives before midnight on July 4th will be automatically matched by some friends of Pathway to Victory and therefore doubled in size. So be sure to leverage your giving while there's still time. Now, let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 20. In this passage, Jesus told a story about a rich young ruler. Today, I'm going to explain how this story gives us a glimpse of our coming rewards in heaven. I titled today's message, A Lesson in Workman's Compensation. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 20 as we look at what I call a lesson in workman's compensation. God's standard for rewards is different than our standards. And he drives home that truth by repeating a statement not once, but twice, at the beginning of the parable and at the end of the parable. And it's that oft-repeated but seldom understood statement you find at the end of chapter 19, verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. That statement was made to introduce this parable we find in chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Look at it with me. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the vineyard to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour. 
That would have been nine o'clock in the morning. And he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you too go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And he went out about the sixth hour, that would have been noon, and about the ninth hour, that would have been three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. He gathered in more workers, no agreed upon price. And about the eleventh hour, one hour before quitting time, the foreman went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said, because nobody hired us. He said to them, you too, go work in the vineyard. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. Verse 8. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those who were hired at about 5 o'clock, the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. And so these people way down at the end of the line who had gone out at 6 o'clock, they began computing. Now, if somebody who worked just an hour got one denarius, and we have been working 12 hours, wow, we're going to make a fortune. Man, what a bonanza. And sure enough, the foreman comes down, and I imagine they cup their hands in order to receive all the denarii. And to their disappointment, he drops a single denarius into their hands. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. It's not fair. But notice the landowner's response. Friend, I am not doing you any wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? And not only that, he says in verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? And then 30 says in verse 15, or is the real problem that your eye is envious because I'm generous? Now in verse 16, Jesus gives the application. Thus the last shall be first and the first will be last. God's standard of rewards is different than ours. Let me give you two relevant applications of that. First of all, I think that applies to the whole area of salvation. Maybe you're one of those people. You became a Christian at an early age in life. And you have been faithfully serving God, or at least you think you have, all of your life. And then you see this person. They've spent their whole life rebelling against God. And now at the 11th hour, they come to know Christ. Are you trying to tell me that that person is going to share the same heaven than I do? That just doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. But when we say that, we forget one important fact. God's reason for saving you and me has nothing to do with us. It is all about God's grace. But I believe this parable not only applies to the issue of salvation but also to the issue of rewards in heaven. If you turn back to chapter 19, you'll find that really this whole discourse begins in verse 16 of chapter 19, the story of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus with his bulging portfolio and he says, "Uh, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, oh, you want to know what you need to do to be saved? Just keep all of the law. And the guy smiles. He said, oh, is that all? 
Well, that's easy. I've done that since I was a youth. Jesus said, really? Really? I didn't realize I was in the presence of such a holy man. You've kept all of the law? Yeah, all of it, A to Z. And Jesus said, well, welcome to heaven. Oh, oh, by the way, there's just one more thing you need to do to get into heaven. What's that, Lord? Well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The Bible says the rich young ruler turned away because he was unwilling to give up his riches. Don't misinterpret the parable. Jesus wasn't saying that he could have gotten to heaven by giving up his riches. But the fact that he was unwilling to do that demonstrated he was not nearly as holy as he thought he was. He needed grace and salvation like the rest of us. Well, now the disciples were watching all of this take place. And so in verse 27 of Matthew 19, Peter answered and he said to the Lord, Lord, you were right not to give that rich young ruler anything. He wouldn't give up anything. But look at verse 27. But Peter said, Lord, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What will there be for us? It's one reason I love Peter. He was a bottom line kind of guy. We've given it all up. What's in it for us? Isn't that what we all want to know? What are we going to get out of this deal? Now, if there were going to be no rewards in heaven, if everyone were going to receive the same thing, this would have been a great time for Jesus to disabuse Peter's thinking and ours as well. He could have said, oh, Peter, you don't understand. We're all going to receive the same thing in heaven. But he doesn't do that. Instead, notice what he says in verse 28. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit upon his throne, I think that's the millennium, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms, that's possessions, for my name's sake, shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Notice what Jesus says in verse 28 and 29. There is a relationship between how much you give up in this life and the kind of rewards you're going to receive in heaven. For many who are first, like the rich young ruler in this life, they're going to be last in the kingdom of heaven. And those who are last are going to be first in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice three principles about rewards I find in this passage. First of all, our rewards in heaven are based on God's sovereignty. I don't think he's saying here that uh, God is capricious or that he's arbitrary, that he just gives whatever he wants to whenever he wants to. But what this passage is reminding us is that God can choose to give his rewards to whomever he chooses to give them. And you find that especially in the next passage, beginning in verse 17. Remember the story, the mother of James and John came to the Lord, and she said to the Lord, Lord, uh, my two boys, they're really special, and I'd like for them to sit next to you in heaven. Could you arrange that? In verse 23, Jesus said, that is not for me to determine, but to my heavenly Father. He's the one who determines whom will receive what rewards. And what this passage is reminding us is our rewards are based ultimately on the sovereignty of God. He is free to reward whomever he chooses. Secondly, rewards are based on our motives. Rewards are based on our motives. 
Why we do something is sometimes more important than what we do. The fact is there are a lot of reasons that people can sacrifice and work for God. They might do it to make up for a badly deficient self-esteem. They might do it as penance for guilt issues from the past. They might do it to earn a reputation from other people. But the Bible says there's only one sound reason for sacrificing for Christ. The only reason that is going to be rewarded, verse 29 says, are those who give up these things for my name's sake. Those who make this sacrifice to glorify God rather than themselves. Our rewards are based on our motive. I was reading this week a story about the late Mother Teresa. A reporter had gone to India to observe her work. He had spent several days watching her. And one afternoon, he went with her to the streets of Calcutta. And he watched as Mother Teresa bandaged the oozing wound of a man who was dying in the streets of Calcutta. And the reporter was so disgusted, he couldn't help himself. He said, I wouldn't do what you do for all the money in the world. And she looked up at the reporter and said, neither would I. What we do is not nearly as important sometimes as why we do it. And this passage is reminding us that there's only one reason to give up to serve Christ, and that is for Christ's glory. And then thirdly, this passage reminds us that our rewards will be determined by the amount of our sacrifice. Our rewards will be determined by our sacrifice. In other words, present sacrifice equals future rewards. In fact, there's a mathematical relationship between how much we sacrifice here and how many rewards we have in heaven. Now listen to me this morning. We're not talking about earning your salvation. That's a gift you receive from Christ. We're not talking about earning salvation. We're talking about the rewards we receive after we're saved in heaven. And notice the mathematical formula. He says, everyone who leaves mother and father and brothers and sisters and possessions for my name's sake shall receive many times as much in heaven. Notice the relationship. Whatever you give up here will be multiplied by the rewards you receive in heaven. You know, there's some strange thinking that goes on in Christian circles today about this whole idea of rewards and sacrifice. Many Christians today would say, well, yes, I am happy to sacrifice up until the point that it becomes inconvenient. And then you can forget it. I mean, I'm willing to spend time in ministry unless it eats into my time with my family. Because after all, God would never ask me to sacrifice time with my family, would he? For his kingdom's sake? (laughs) Look at what Jesus said. He talked about family. He said everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children for my name's sake. Now please don't write me any letters this week. I know families are important. I know God has given us family. We need to spend time for our family. We need to care for our family. But quite frankly, many Christians today have made a fetish out of the family. They've said, oh, my family is more important than anything, including my relationship with God. And the truth is, a family is just a synonym for self to many people. It's an excuse to indulge themselves in what they want to do. 
Sometimes God calls us to sacrifice time and relationships in order to serve Him. Or some people say, well, yes, I'll be happy to take a stand for Christ in my school or in my place of business. I'll be happy to do that unless, of course, I start to get some static from it. God would never ask me to sacrifice my GPA. He would never ask me to sacrifice a promotion for His work, would He? Or, yeah, I'm I'm happy to sacrifice money and give to the Lord's work uh, until there's something I really want to do with the money. But God would never ask me to sacrifice and give up something I want to invest in His kingdom's work, would He? Listen to this. Service to Christ that costs nothing is worth nothing. The only kind of sacrifice that computes on God's calculator is a sacrifice that really costs us something, that causes us to give up something important to ourselves. And that's why he said, whoever leaves these things for my name's sake shall receive many times as much. Let's drill down here for a moment. And by the way, I can't ask you these questions if I'm not willing to ask myself the same question. What kind of sacrifice are you willing to make for the kingdom of God? Let's talk about our time for a moment. Are you willing to sacrifice a little sleep so that you can get up earlier or go to bed a little bit later and spend time in God's Word? Are you willing to give up your freedom to be gone on the weekends to travel so that instead you can be in this church serving in a place of ministry like you know you should be? What about your reputation? Those of you who are students here today, are you willing to sacrifice perhaps your GPA, to sacrifice your professor's good feeling about you in order to take a stand for Christ in your classroom? Those of you in the workforce, are you willing to say no to something in your workplace even though it might cost you a promotion or even your job? What about when it comes to money? Are you willing to give not just out of your surplus, but are you willing to invest in God's kingdom's work to the point that it actually causes you to give up something that means something to you? Service to God that costs nothing is worth nothing. We had our seniors, graduating seniors here. I thought about them this week as I prepared the message, and I was reminded of the story of Bill Borden. When Bill Borden graduated from a Chicago high school in 1904, he graduated a millionaire because he was an heir to the vast Borden family fortune. For a graduation gift, Bill Borden's family gave him an around-the-world trip. And it was on that around-the-world journey that Bill Borden felt God's call to be a missionary. And so when he came back to the United States, he renounced his family's fortune in order to pursue his call as a missionary. And he took his Bible, and in the back of the Bible, he wrote two words on the flyleaf of the Bible— It simply said, no reserves, no reserves. Bill Borden entered 
Yale University in the fall of 1905, and his classmates immediately knew there was something different about him. Yes, he excelled in academics, but he also went to Yale as a missionary. He realized God had placed him on that campus for a reason, and so he began organizing prayer meetings and Bible studies. By the time Borden graduated, over 1,300 students at Yale were attending these weekly Bible studies and prayer meetings. When he finally graduated from Yale, he was offered several lucrative positions at a high-paying salary, but God's call on his life was certain. And Bill Borden declined those offers, and in the back of his Bible, underneath those words, no reserves, he wrote two more words, no retreat, no retreat. Upon graduation, he entered Princeton Theological Seminary to receive his divinity degree. And when he had finished his theological training, he set sail for China in order to be a missionary to the Muslim people. On his way to China, he decided to stop in Egypt, where he would enter a language school to learn the Arabic language and more effectively minister to the Muslims in China. And while Bill Borden was in that Egyptian uh, country, while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. And he died at the age of 25. When Bill Borden died, every major American newspaper carried the story. The world was shocked by his sudden demise. His biographer notes, a wave of sorrow went round the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. While many thought that Bill Borden's untimely death was a waste, he thought otherwise. How do I know that? For as Bill Borden lay dying in that Cairo hospital, he took his Bible, he turned to the back, and underneath the words, no reserves and no retreat, He wrote two more words, no regrets, no regrets. You see, Bill Borden believed the truth of this parable, that in God's economy, those who are first in this life will be last in the kingdom of God, and those who are last in this world will be first in the kingdom of heaven. Six words define Bill Borden's life. No reserves, no retreat, no regrets. Borden's life puts an exclamation point on this parable, and it's an inspiration to all of us who follow Jesus Christ. Well, I'm so glad you chose to listen to Pathway to Victory today. Remember that now's the time to give us a call or go online to ptv.org or even write us a letter. I've written a brand new book for your family. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. The subject of this new and fully illustrated book dovetails naturally with my teaching series, but it's written in an easy way that engages your children and your grandchildren. As the grandfather to young triplets, I'm especially intent on getting the truth of God into the hearts of our children. So while there's still time, please request your copy of my new book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. The 10 lessons in this book will help your child or grandchild grow in their faith as they come to understand more about God and His Word. 
This book is yours when you give a generous gift today. Now, bear in mind that right now we're in the middle of a matching challenge, meaning that your gift today will yield twice the impact. Because of this arrangement, your gift of, say, $100 will be matched until it becomes $200. A $500 gift becomes $1,000, and some can give even more. Gratefully, in spite of all the challenges during 2022, Pathway to Victory has continued growing our audience and influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the doors of opportunity have opened even wider than ever before. And it's because people like you are stepping forward to give generously. So please respond today while these open doors remain open and while you have the opportunity to double the impact of your generous gift. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'd like to say thanks by sending you the brand new illustrated children's book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. To make your request, call 866-999-2965 or even easier, simply go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete unedited CD and DVD teaching sets for our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. Remember, your gift right now will be doubled in impact through our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, so be sure to get in touch right away. Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You can also send your donation by mail. Here's that mailing address. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again tomorrow when Dr. Jeffress shares why the kingdom of God is a party. That's Tuesday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.